Hello again, and welcome to Upgrade to Awesome. We're up to part four. I can't believe we're really up to this already. I'm very, very excited because we're really at the um, at the real meet. Today, we're going to learn an exciting tool um, and some good questions that came in. I'm going to actually start with one of the questions. Um, so here goes. So she writes, it is clear that reminding ourselves, I, I, I'm, I'm going to read the question as somebody wrote it because it's just, I, they could say it so much better than I ever could. I mean, it's, it's written so well. It's clear that reminding ourselves of our link to Hashem and being part of Hashem is a powerful way to boost our feelings of worthiness. It's even strong enough to weather what might otherwise batter against our self-image, both from the voices within as well as from people or situations we encounter. What do we do though to ensure that we don't accidentally emotionally isolate or numb ourselves from the people around us? If we say that self-worth and being okay with myself is directly correlated to understanding that I only want to please Hashem, how do I avoid just not, care, not caring about the opinions of my friends and family? If I put their opinions aside entirely, then what bonds me with my friends and family? How would I relate to them personally or feel connected to them? And I love this question because so it's, so, it's such an important one. So here's my thought on this. And, and again, it gives, I'm grateful for the opportunity to clarify. In an ideal situation, if somebody says something offensive to you, you should be, and I should be, and all of us should be able to say, whoops, ouch, that really hurt my feelings. And the person should respond to that and say, oh my, I, I really didn't mean to hurt your feelings. What was that? You know, tell me what, what's bothering you. And you would say what's bothering you. And the other person would say, oh my, because I didn't mean that. I meant that. I'm so sorry. I would never want to hurt you. I, you know, that would be such a great conversation but I see you're laughing. <laughs> and I think I know why you're laughing. If I dare guess, it's because what happens, that's an ideal situation. Okay. Now what ends up happening is that when we get offended, our fight or flight instinct gets triggered and we either go on the defense mode, which is we start attacking the other person, or we retreat into self-pity and resentment and just, you know, hiding and avoiding the other person and avoiding the confrontation, avoiding the conflict. We don't do assertiveness. We either do passive or we do aggressive, you know, flip-flop between passive and aggressive. We don't be, we don't naturally be assertive. So what I think is that, or, in, and then even if we do say, oh, well, that hurt me, the other person, our, our telling the other person, remember the whole discussion about the labels? So when somebody tells us something upsetting or, or an unpleasant situation unfolds and we find ourselves sucked into an or just present within a unpleasant circumstances or situation, what happens is we get, a, we get a label. And as soon as we find ourselves with that label, we don't want it. And our natural instinct is to fight off it, but fight it off and attack the other person or sulk, retreat into ourselves. But let's say we don't, let's say we, you know, let's say we calmly and uh, assertively, you know, just gently say, ouch, ouch. Now that person 
doesn't want to see themselves as somebody who's capable of being hurtful. Everybody wants to see themselves as a good person. So your ouch puts the other person, could put the other person on the defensive and, and they'll be like, what? Why are you being so silly? Like, I didn't do, like, what? I didn't do anything. Like, you know, and kind of um, shift the, the, the negative energy. Now, um, back right back to you. And obviously that's not the ideal situation. Everybody should be emotionally mature. We should be able to be open to criticism. We should be able to be open to sharing our feelings, both ends, on both ends. Um, so what I think these tools that we're talking about, what we're doing here is giving ourselves a core self, a stronger core, so that inevitably when we do bump into an unpleasant situation, we could say, ouch, without, you know, I think that when we say ouch in a way that's relative, that that's like appropriate, commit, you know, that, that parallels the pain of, of just the external layer, you know, sometimes if we don't have a, if we don't have a strong core and somebody steps on our toes, then we look at it like they stabbed us in our heart right? They, they touched us on a much deeper level. It's not, it's not just that they said something that was a little bit unpleasant. We kind of associate what they said with malicious intent, or we, we experience it as destructive, even if it wasn't so malicious, even if it wasn't evil, even if it wasn't intended to be um, destructive or hurtful in any way, even if it wasn't meant to be criticism. So if we have a strong core, two things happen. Number one, we're open to just sharing our feelings from a place of honesty without getting compliment, complicated in deep, dark stuff that has nothing to do with the present moment, right? And that's one level of it. And the other thing is that when people, very often we're the ones who are hurting other people because everybody, you know, everybody is on both ends of the table, right? Sometimes we feel hurt and sometimes by mistake, we hurt other people, people that we love and people that we care about just because we make mistakes. That's what humans do. So inevitably when we do make a mistake and someone says, ouch, we'll be able to see ourselves inherently as good people and we won't take their ouch as a reason to fall apart. We don't need to protect ourselves from our mistakes. We could just say, oh my, I am so, sorry. So I, this is definitely not meant to replace the ideal situation where we are open and connecting with other people, but rather to help us connect more deeply and more authentically and in just a more wholesome way with the people in our lives. I hope that um, if the person who answered the, who asked the question is on the phone and you want to, um, yeah, if you want to speak up on the chat, that would be great. And another person is adding here that another option is to soothe our own ouch to ourselves and validate ourselves, etc. And then we can just communicate the request to the other person without a lot of a negative emotional energy. So thank you for saying that very beautifully. And that was, that's, a, that's a beautiful way of saying it, right? Because if we don't have a core self, then what ends up happening is that emotional neediness that never had anything to do with the other person. We came into the day with that hole in our heart, but the other person's criticism or the other person's hurtful comment or absence of love woke up 
and unplug that whole emptiness in our heart. And we respond from that deep place of hurt, not from that little bit of what they did. So this gives us that ability to just relate from a healthy place of strength and dignity and sense of worthiness, and definitely to be able to communicate and to receive love and to share love and connect authentically with the people in our lives, the people that we want to have relationships with. And with that, let's jump into the worksheets. And then we have another question um, that we'll leave for afterwards. Okay, so last week we talked about the DAS, how doing the DAS, which means really taking time. Let me backtrack a little bit more. We, we were talking about how, um, how the more we value Hashem, the more we value our internal worthiness, our inherent worthiness and dignity and identity, right? Because the more we value Hashem, the more we value the part of Hashem that's within us. And the more respect we have for that, the more space we give to it, the more space it takes up in our mind and hearts, the more space our inherent worthiness and dignity takes up in our minds and hearts. So how do we get there? How do we increase and upgrade the sense of value that we have for Hashem and for our godly soul, for our neshama, for the part of Hashem within us? How do we upgrade and expand and enrich and magnify our sense of value for that inherent untouchable and unchangeable identity? And the way to do that, the Baal Tanya says, is through the act. I'm calling it an act. It's an act that we do in our minds of da'as. Taking time to think about Hashem and not just in a way of abs not to take those ideas that we know about Hashem and actually personalize them. So for example, we did last week a worksheet. We're like, okay, we're thinking about Hashem. Hashem is the one and only power. And then the da'as part of it would be looking around our lives at the different blessings that we have and saying, whoa, thank you, Hashem, for this particular blessing. You are the one who gave me this. You are the one who created this. You are the one who's making this possible. And by the same token, looking around at the unmet needs in our lives, the holes that we still need to fill, the, um, the, the neediness that we have, and or the pain, and, and, and recognizing, Hashem, this is from you, and you know, turning that into a prayer. To Hashem. So the, that was just, that was an example of what we did on last week's worksheet, where we build that bridge from the abstract. When we do that, when we personalize the, those ideas, suddenly they're no longer abstract theories about Hashem, but they're actual realities, practical and relevant in our own personal lives. And every time we do that, we increase our emotional charge, the emotional energy that we experience around our thoughts about Hashem and about our neshama. So if we, there's another little worksheet that we're going to do about that, which is uh, page two of this, of today. Um, and it's another practice, another variation of how we can do the das in relation to Hashem's empowerment of us. Hashem has infinite, unlimited value. Hashem's capabilities are limitless. So Hashem's presence within us gives us infinite and unchangeable value. What does that look like? What does that value mean in terms of our emotional wellness? It could mean anything. It means respectability, dignity, compassion, resilience, courage, acceptance, tolerance, faith, trust, 
um, strength. It could mean it could mean anything. One thing I do not want this to ever mean is that you're capable of tolerating and perpetuating a toxic, abusive relationship. I had a very painful experience recently where somebody shared um, that she was in a very abusive relationship, and um, I really felt sad that she thought she could handle it because people around her um, were minimizing her pain. And, um, and here I was talking about, you know, empowerment and we can do it. And um, I'm, I was so happy that she asked me that question and gave me the opportunity to clarify that our bodies, our lives don't belong to Hashem. In Yiddishkeit, in Torah, there's no such thing as a bill of rights. There's only obligations. We have an obligation to take care of ourselves because we don't belong to ourselves. We cannot, just like we would never let anybody beat up our child, we can't let anybody beat us up. Emotionally, um, psychologically, physically, we can't let people beat us up. We cannot, we should not put ourselves into situations where we will be hurt. None of this is meant to perpetuate um, abuse. And if you're not sure if your situation is what I'm talking about, then just ask, okay? So I just wanted to put that out there. But for every regular, ordinary situation, and I think emotional abuse has been so expanded, it could mean, you know, somebody's in a bad mood and we call that abusive, you know what I mean? Um, everything is about frequency, intensity, and duration but we're not gonna diagnose what is technically or you know, what is authentic abuse and what is not. I think if you have a question, it's always helpful to ask. But if you don't have a question and this is just regular conflict and inner turmoil and confusion and doubt, or if you wanna do something and you have fears related to your past trauma or you know, inhibitions, or you're stuck to a habit and you want the courage to defy that habit, or you want to love somebody, but something is getting in your way, um, or you want to be more patient and accepting, and you want that compassion, all of that inner wealth we can get just by, by doing the das. So let's take a moment to practice absorbing um, what this could look like, okay? So let's say I'm in a situation, um, I need to make a difficult phone call. It's gonna be uncomfortable. It's gonna be unpleasant. Why is it gonna be uncomfortable? Because the person on the other end of the call is going to be upset. I have to deliver unpleasant news. And although there's nothing I could do about it, the facts, the facts of the news are the facts and the person on the other end of the phone call is not going to, is not going to be happy. But I have, to, I have to deliver this news because it's my job right? It's I'm the position that person is waiting for an answer to a question and I'm the one who needs to deliver that piece of information. So what form of inner wealth? That's just an example that I'm using. If we want to do another one, we'll do another one. Okay. So what form of inner wealth do I need from Hashem today here and now? I need some strength. I need some strength. I also need some compassion because I want to have the strength to say clearly what needs to be said. And I also wanna have compassion to say it kindly. So which action can I take to demonstrate this quality? I can speak clearly and 
use kind, you know, and be, and be supportive at the same time. Number three, what am I choosing as my perspective in this situation? I am choosing to believe that this phone call can actually be, and uh, uh, it could happen calmly with dignity and compassion. It doesn't have to be a mess. It doesn't have to be um, awkward. It doesn't have to be, you know, a terrible thing in my day. This is going to happen with strength, dignity, and compassion. It's going to be fine. Okay, that's what I would like to believe. Number four, what will I do to help myself hold on to this perspective? What will I do when I lose my perspective? Um, so frankly, if if you know, I if I if I if I'm going into a situation and I think I might lose my perspective, I will try to write it down before I make that phone call or before I go into a situation. Because for me, writing gives me clarity. But that's just my own personal example. And in your example, when you do this worksheet for yourself, it will probably probably be something different. Um, what will I try to notice? Where will I focus my attention in this situation? So if I have to deliver specific news, um, right? The reason why I ask this question is because where we focus our attention is so important. Um, if I'm gonna be focused on the discomfort of the other person, if I'm gonna, all my energy is going to be invested in how uncomfortable the other person is and how uncomfortable that makes me, I will just perpetuate the discomfort. But if I could focus my attention on the end goal where after we get through this conversation, um, things will be clear. And with that clarity comes just peace. You know, um, that's gonna be my focus of my attention, getting to a place of peace, helping that person get to a place of peace with that, um, with that, with this situation. What is my tefillah to Hashem about this situation, about myself and others in this situation? I love this question because of two things. First of all, it helps me. Um, it, it, once I say a tefillah, it takes my fears or my um, uncertainty and it gives it a voice, a voice that's much more clear than the muddled mess of my words that keep churning around and around in my head. If I say it as a tefillah, it becomes more clear to me and it crystal, it's it crystallized in, in clarity, number one. Number two is it helps me also focus my energy on the goal as opposed to staying in the discomfort. So it's just another way of doing the same thing. I will ask Hashem to give me the strength and to give me the compassion and to give the other person the open heart and mind so that together we can work out the situation and come to a place of peace about this. Um, asking myself these questions helped me realize that inviting Hashem into the story really helps me make a, make, make a big difference from a, from a conversation that would be awkward and uncomfortable that I would need to push off 10 times because I can't take it and I need to, you know, I, I just, just, I'm so afraid of it and I hate it so much that I'm going to push it off 10 times, right? Feel like I can't do it. All of a sudden, I by asking myself these questions, I realize that I could do it and Hashem gives me the strength to do it. And with that, and that's why I call this um, worksheet DAS, practicing DAS, because asking ourselves these questions takes the infinite empowerment of Hashem, the power of choice, as well as all the inner strengths and the qualities that we want and puts it into context of an actual situation where we need it. 
if anybody wants to give me an example that we can work with together, um, that would be something, I mean, that would be nice. If anybody wants to, um, you want to think of an example that you want to use this with? Thank you so much. Okay, let's go on. So now we're talking about doing DAS. Um, another way that we can do DAS in a very, very simple, straightforward way um, is I, I came up with a little list for ideas that we can do throughout the day. Sometimes people say, you know, I think about Hashem and it doesn't do anything for me. I think about my neshama and it doesn't do anything for me. And everyone who's here in this group, you've heard this from me a hundred times before, right? It doesn't do anything for you the first time. But the more we spend time thinking about Hashem, the more emotional energy we create around Hashem's reality and around Hashem's value and around the value of our neshama. So Yiddishkeit actually works. Yiddishkeit is built in a way to allow for little pockets of time throughout the day to like touch base, to reaffirm and reconnect and recharge our awareness of Hashem's reality, of our, our awareness of Hashem's truth and our empowerment to choose. And that is, you know, morning, afternoon, evening, tefillos, and saying a bracha before eating, saying a bracha after eating, touching the mezuzah whenever you're walking into the room, giving a little bit of tzedakah every single day. All of these actions spread throughout the day are like little lights, little, little lights that we kind of turn on in our hearts and in our minds, little lights of consciousness, little sparks of strength, actual strength that builds charge and builds energy around our awareness of Hashem and our emotional the emotional impact of that awareness. So if you take one thing out of this course, out of this series, I would so much love if you do this. Um, take 30 seconds every single day to proactively charge up your consciousness of Hashem's truth and of the truth of your neshama. And doing that consistently over a period of time, even after just one week, will invite so much goodness in your life because then when you think about Hashem, all of a sudden, all that energy will come up for you. So on the next two pages, I have a bunch of ideas um, of just basic ideas to get you started, but don't be limited by these ideas. I'll just read the first two. Number one is to say moda'ani with intention and um, personal thought. So we say moda'ani, this, this tefillah said immediately when we wake up, right? Some, sometimes we're so used to saying it for those of us who are blessed to have been saying it from when we're young. It's so, it's like so part of us um, that it just, you know, kind of is like, just like, blah, 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 blah. it's like almost like opening your eyes, you say moda'ani and you don't even realize that it was just said. It kind of mumbles itself out of our mouths while we need toothpicks to keep our eyes open, right? But it, can, it doesn't have Hashem's name and you can say it anytime. You can say it an hour after you woke up as well. Um, anytime you remember that, you know, before you start your day, it's a great idea to really say moda'ani when you're conscious, when you're alert, when you um, have the focus and the clarity of mind to really think about what you're saying. And I would really recommend sitting down once when you have a few minutes, maybe now um, or right after this call and take a moment to Think about what the words of Moda'ani mean to you in your words. What do you want to remember 
as you say the words moda'ani and then think about it, you know, write it down and you'll have it, you'll be able to reference it um, every morning. It's so, 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 so precious. It's so empowering. It's one of the, it's one of the most simple things. And sometimes people say, oh, come on. It's so simple. It can't be effective. My problems, my life is so much more complicated than that, but it actually works. It's so simple that it almost seems impossible to actually make a difference. But these 30 seconds done over a week even, and certainly over a longer period of time makes a huge, huge difference. There's probably nothing in my day that makes a bigger difference than a simple moda'ani or Shema Yisrael or a simple bracha that, um, that I say throughout the day, just, just that few seconds of intention and awareness of what I'm actually saying and personalizing those thoughts makes such a big difference. So moda'ani, here's a sample thought. Um, moda'ani means I admit. Um, when we wake up in the morning, it seems as if Hashem is not there. It seems as if Hashem is abstract when the world around us is so real and Hashem's presence is almost, is almost a theory in comparison to all the relevant um, stuff that's on my agenda. So we right away say, Moda'ani, I acknowledge, I admit that you are true. And that brings us to the second meaning of the words Moda'ani, I thank you, I am grateful to you. Because once we realize that Hashem is true, we also feel a sense of gratitude because if he is true, then he is the source of all the good in my life, beginning with the fact that I am alive. If he is true, then he's the source of my life. So Moda'ani, I admit that you are true. I, I thank you. Right then we're affirming Hashem is living and eternal. You returned to me my life, my, my beautiful life, your beautiful light you know, to be carried by it throughout the day and to carry it with me wherever I go and whatever I do. With Rachamim, you gave it to me with, with mercy. You know, there's nothing that I did that's so amazing that I deserve this light. I didn't even ask for it. You're giving it to me as a gift. And then Rabba Munasacha, we express our, um, our thanks that we're, you know, great is your faithfulness. Great is your faith in me. Thank you, Hashem, for trusting me. Thank you for giving me another day. Thank you for trusting me that I will do this day with joy, dignity, and compassion, that I will be a meaningful carrier of your light wherever I go and whatever I do today. So that's one thought about Moda'ani. Um, the paragraph of Olakaina, I'm curious, you know, if you want to share, if anybody wants to share something that you think about when you say Moda'ani, um, we're not going to go through all of these because in the interest of saving time, but this, the next two pages are a list. And that brings us to, first of all, I want to just say my favorite thing is on the second page of these proactive connections is turning a sigh into a song or, or turning a, a, turn a sigh into a prayer and turn a song into a prayer. Every time throughout the day, when you're happy and you feel like singing, you know, when you, when something is going right, say thank you to Hashem, make it into a song of thanks. And when you're feeling afraid or worried or anxious or nervous, 
in any way or overwhelmed, turn it into a prayer. So, 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 so empowering. And so, I can't, it's so comforting and reassuring when you're able to crystallize those words. And instead of saying, I'm so worried or I'm so afraid, or this is so crazy and it's so overwhelming, Hashem, please make this work out. Hashem, please heal this person. Hashem, please help me, give me the strength I need to get through the next few minutes with dignity, with my patience intact. Um, okay, and the other thing that I really love here is being a light. It's, it's so nice to carry, consciously carry Hashem's light as a light to other people, at least once a day, consciously reflect on the value and the beautiful light that the people in your life are carrying and relate, engage to that, with that person from that, from the place of that awareness, even, even once a day. Okay, this brings us to the next page, which is something that I call the power tool. For those of you who have been with me before in the previous workshops, you know, I've had different tools. Um, I, I called it focus and that was really focused on kind of separating our beliefs and really like taking them apart and identifying what's not true from what is true. This one is easier to use and doesn't get so technical and specific. Um, I'm very grateful to Dr. Hillary Buff. She's a clinical psychologist. I, I did this, I created this together with her. We did a workshop together and, um, and this is, so she has a, a part in it and that's why I wanted to mention her name here. Okay, so the power tool is also a form of doing DAS, but it's a very simplified process. And I wanna just share the background for why this is helpful and when this is helpful. Remember that story that we shared about Khani going down the stairs and having this belief about herself that she, she was somewhat shameful because her skirt was dirty and then the neighbor ignored her and then she really felt embarrassed and ashamed of herself because she was being ignored because of her skirt. That's what she thought. So we talked about how in that story, Khani would have never known that she would have never challenged her beliefs because our brain doesn't come up, doesn't come to us with suggestions of what to believe. Do you wanna believe that the other person was ignoring you? Or do you wanna believe that the other person was busy? Which idea works better for you? Our brain doesn't come to us with that. Our brain comes to us with certainty. She was ignoring you because you are absolutely shameful, because you're disgusting, because you, are because you deserve to be ignored. You do not deserve to be acknowledged and recognized. That's why she was, she was ignoring you. So our brain doesn't come to us with suggestions. It comes to us with certainty. This is how it is. And being that that's the case, you know, if we turn on the light of awareness and we challenge our thoughts on a regular basis and we kind of question, wait, is that idea true? Is it, a, is it consistent with the truth of Hashem's power? Is it consistent with the truth of my dignity and my absolute worthiness? Is it, is it something that I want to live by? Does it even make any, does it make any sense for my life? So it, in order for us to get to that point of asking that question, my recommendation is that whenever you're feeling upset or emotionally overwhelmed, pull out this power tool. And what this power tool will do will help you turn on the light of your awareness and at least get you to that point where if you've been doing the DAS, if you've been really thinking about Hashem and living with Hashem, the minute you will um, put on the light of awareness, you will be 
in the light, you will see that that belief that was hurting you will be exposed for the lie that it is. Let's go through this. I'm going to share an example as we go through it. And, um, and then, and then we'll open up to questions. Okay. So it's a, it's a form of doing DAS as a simple process. We're respectable. We're empowered to choose our beliefs and our behavior, but when our emotions are fired up, we lose sight of that dignity and we lose sight of our ability to choose our beliefs. We just feel stuck in our messy emotions. We feel stuck in that self-pity, in that resentment, in that helplessness, in that misery, in that overwhelm. So that's when we can use this tool, pull it out of your pocket. And um, the acronym really helps because it makes it memorable. Um, and, and we could use it to reconnect and just reground ourselves. Re is that even a word? It's not. Re-anchor ourselves within a position of strength and wholesome dignity. So the P is for pause. And that's the most important part of this all. We wanna stop wherever we are, literally stop moving, take a deep breath and put our feet on the brakes. And literally, that's figuratively, but literally um, put your feet into the ground. If you're sitting, you might put your hands on your knees and your brain will therefore understand that you are safe. Okay, we're gonna dial down that hyperactive fight or flight mode, that fight or flight instinct, instinct, we're just going to be calm. And I want to say that sometimes this pause takes 30 seconds and sometimes just you need to breathe, deep breathing um, for more than that, for 10 seconds, 15 seconds, 30 seconds. And just keep telling yourself, you are safe. I am safe. I am okay. Okay. Then we want to do, that's P. P is for pause. Just you know, sometimes you see a yellow light. A yellow light is supposed to mean pause, but whenever we see a yellow light, we kind of speed. We go through it very, 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 very quickly. Um, I think that sometimes when we get nervous and we get anxious, instead of slowing down, we speed up. What we wanna try to do is really, the minute you become aware that I am in emotional overwhelm, I am feeling sorry for myself. I am feeling resentful. I am feeling anxious. The first thing is pause. Okay, slow down, get your feet onto the floor or put, put your, if you're, if you're not near a chair, you lean against the wall um, and lean, let your feet sink into the ground, feel that weight of the, of your feet in the ground and take a deep breath. And then O is for observe. Okay, now that we're calm, we could actually, the first thing we want to do is look at what's going on in your heart and in your mind. What am I feeling? What am I feeling? What am I thinking? So I was feeling very upset one day this week. And um, I want to just share that I, I, I did this tool. I paused and I observed what am I thinking and what am I feeling? And a whole bunch of mumble jumble stuff was coming up for me. And then I asked myself a better, a more specific question. Um, I asked myself, what label are you wearing? Because for me, labels make a big difference. And some people don't really relate to this idea, but for me, labels really matter. And sometimes when I ask myself, what label am I wearing? I kind of zoom in on, you know, I, I saw myself, I realized that I was seeing myself as a failure for something that had happened. And I was like, failure, 
liar, you know, liar, because like, here I am presenting myself to the world as a normal person. And here I just did something that was, I'm in not, you know, I was in a situation that was not normal. So I'm a liar. And the second I had that observation, which I didn't have before, because when you're busy, you don't even realize that you have these thoughts going on in your head. You don't even realize you're not even listening, paying attention to the emotions that are churning in your heart. You're kind of just doing, doing, doing. But when you pause, you slow down and you take that deep breath and you consciously observe, hey, what are you feeling? What's going on? And I, I was like, okay, I'm just in pain. I'm like, okay, so well, what label are you wearing? Failure, loser. And the minute I said that, it was like, you know, we do the W is welcome. Welcome Hashem into the story. I right away moved into the welcome. Welcome Hashem into the story. And that means literally, figuratively, let Hashem into the story. Everything you know about Hashem, let it take up some space right here in this minute, in the context of your label, failure, loser. What does that look like when you bring Hashem into the picture? And I was like, oh. I started, my mom was almost laughing out loud. I was like, okay, you're not a failure. You're not a loser. This is a difficult situation and you're actually doing great. I was able to talk myself through that moment because just welcoming Hashem into the picture, welcoming all that I know about Hashem into the picture gave, was like turning on the light of awareness. Um, and, and we wanna, it's not just welcoming Hashem, it's a conscious connection to all that we know about Hashem. And then envision, E is for envision. This is really helpful. Um, envision that unstoppable flow of light. If the welcome didn't do it for you yet, W and E really go together. You wanna welcome Hashem and not just welcome Hashem into the story, but literally envision the flow of light, that beautiful, majestic, forceful, flow of unstoppable flow of beautiful light coming straight from Hashem into you. Envision it filling your body, filling your whole space, filling yourself, handing Hashem handing it into your hand, however you want to envision it. Sometimes I envision it as a certificate of worthiness, identity, and dignity. You know, um, whatever works for you, visualize it. So um, P is for pause, tell yourself that you're safe and put yourself in a physical position that will remind you of that safety, that will tell your body that you're safe. So to dial down that hyperactive um, fight or flight instinct, breathe deeply, getting oxygen into your body really just brings you to a state of calm. And from there we do O, which is observing what's going on inside of you, your emotions, your beliefs, Welcome Hashem into the story. Envision Hashem's empowerment of you. And then from that place, make a choice. R is for resolve. Resolve how you want to engage. Resolve to engage in the situation from the place of your inner light, from that place of awareness of Hashem's truth and the truth of your dignity and um, precious identity. So you're not the same person. I, 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 I'm telling you, when you do this, literally from being overwhelmed and a confused mess, when you slow down and observe your thoughts and put those thoughts in context of everything you know about Hashem 
and his empowerment of you, you're not the same person as you were a few seconds before you use the tool because you now have awareness and awareness is everything. If you're walking down a path in the dark, you will stumble, you'll trip, whatever's on the floor will be an obstacle in your path. But with the light on, you see where you're going and you could either walk around the pit or you jump over it, or you could stuff it up and repair it and fix it and actually heal it. There's so much you can do. There's so many possibilities. You're not hurting yourself anymore. Awareness is really everything. So from that place of awareness, we can choose. We can choose what we believe. We can choose what we, how we wanna see ourselves, how we wanna engage in the situation. And literally that makes all the difference. So P for pause, O observe, welcome Hashem's truth, envision Hashem's empowerment of you, and then resolve to engage in the moment from, or in that situation from the place of his empowerment of you. And the same tool can be used. We spoke before about Moda'ani. Use the same tool um, in the morning with your Moda'ani. P, pause. Before you do anything in the morning, before you, pull, before you open your phone, before you speak to anyone, before you take care of any business, before you plan mentally what you're going to do throughout the day, P, just pause. Take that moment to consciously become aware of Hashem's presence. Observe, you know, make, make, make a commitment. If you want to look around, observe here. We're not, we're not doing, we're not going to start observing our thoughts in the morning, but maybe observe your blessings. Observe the fact that Hashem is present in your world. Um, make a commitment to keep switching on the light of awareness and make a commitment that today, whenever your thoughts are not elevating you, you will challenge them. You will turn on the light of awareness and take a closer look at what you're believing, and then welcome the truth of your neshama into your day, envision it, and resolve to engage in this day from the place of that awareness, strength, um, and dignity. And that is absolutely my favorite tool. And let's open to questions before we, um, before we conclude. Here's a really good question, okay. Um, Okay, how do we authentically show up when we are faced with interacting with difficult people, exhibiting behaviors, beliefs, and attitudes where there is another level of distorted thinking and destructive, irrational behavior that could be indirectly or directly intended for us as the recipient? In other words, what do you do when you're dealing with toxic behaviors, like real intense, you know, real um, certified, you know, I will call it um, disorders, such as people who might have a psychological diagnosis of a personality disorder. For example, is there room for a clinical lens in which Judaism views people and human behaviors? Is, okay, what about when the tactics employed by an individual whether conscious or not, are manipulative and spiteful, fueled by rage, not just anger, and possibly severe resentment as a likely cover for fear and shame. Okay, when the thoughts and actions exhibited have potential for risk or harm, of harm to self or others. These are really such beautiful words that give such a vivid description of what, we, what every person here um, is likely to encounter. And then she, 
um, she explained her question again. Really, it's a two-part question is number one is what do we do when we're dealing with people who have all these disorders or any of these disorders, a real toxic, um, diagnosable, as she described. And the second part of the question is, um, does Judaism even allow for viewing people within the framework of psychological pathology? Such a fantastic question, both of them. So I, I feel like we, um, when dealing with difficult people, including ourselves, all that we've been describing is, is very, very helpful. I just think that it's important to keep in mind that we're never obligated to put ourselves in a, not that we're never obligated, we're not allowed to put ourselves in a position of danger. It's not, we're not allowed to. So um, I don't wanna say, because people, I think the, the label of borderline personality disorder or this kind of personality, so many ABCs, are thrown around and everybody is diagnosing everybody without even seeing them. And there's a very big difference between clinically um, evaluating a person and giving a diagnosis after a certain you know, due process, as we will say, um, as opposed to you know, everybody reading an article in a magazine or reading a book and saying, oh, that person has this disease and that person has this, and everybody, we're busy diagnosing everybody. So that's why I'm very hesitant to say come out strongly and say, you know, toxicity is wrong and don't put yourself up for abuse because you know what? So many times we make the mistake of calling people or things or behaviors or certain things abusive and they're not. And so many times we call, we make the mistake of normalizing what's really abusive. So that's why I don't wanna make any definitive statements about what to do specifically in terms of real abusive situations. I really think it's a very personalized question, but for all regular um, behaviors, these tools are, I think they're very, very helpful. They've been helpful to me. They keep me in a position of strength and sanity, even when there's so much insanity and chaos. It keeps me in a place of peace, even when there's chaos and confusion surrounding me. So that was number one. Number two is, um, does Judaism even allow for viewing people with, um, within the framework of psychological pathology. To me, psychological pathology is just like any illness. And I don't think that there's anything wrong. Like, just like you would say, oh, this person has a broken leg. Okay, this person, this system doesn't work. You know what I mean? Um, medically, there's definitely reason to say that, in other words, a, a pathological illness is illness. It's illness just like physical illness, there's mental illness, and there's doctors who treat that just like, you know, so yeah, I would say that yes. However, that being said, you know, how do we look at people? Do we look at people as their illnesses, as their strengths? Or do we look at people first and foremost as people? And I really strongly believe, and I, I am sure you will all agree with me on this, that there is nothing more definitive about a person than their soul. And and um, when we relate to a person from the, from the position of that awareness and of that clarity, then the person happens to be, a, you know, he's a person or she's a person, happens to have ADHD, happens to have, you know, um, borderline personalities, but they're a person first. They're a person first, they're a soul first, they're dignity first, they have worthiness first. They're not defined, none of us 
are defined by anything other than our neshama. And we can, we get to show up um, with, from the place of our neshama. And even if we ourselves are struggling with mental illness or emotional challenges, or even just getting into a rut of weakness or of depression, uh, you know, uh, every, a lot of people that I know are struggling with, you know, over the last few months with um, depression and anxiety and a whole new level of, of, of intensity that people didn't experience before Corona. There's so much fear in the ear that people are sucking it up and drinking it for breakfast, lunch, and supper. It's the Kool-Aid, you know, and um, it's in our coffee, you know, <laughs> and, and so I really don't want anybody, you know, like we, we really needed, we shouldn't judge ourselves and um, we're never ever limited or defined by anything else. Just like we're not limited or defined by how much money we have, what kind of clothing we, we're wearing or, you know, anything external. I would say that uh, uh, dealing with an emotional challenge, psychological challenge, um, mental challenge is 100% goes in the same category as any as anything else it's not something that we cause where there's no shame um there's not there's it's it's just it's a blessing every day of sanity is a blessing and um and if we have a day of sanity and we have to just keep asking hashem for it to, for it to continue because it really 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 it's just it's a blessing like any other so i hope that answers your question anybody want to jump in i really feel that i when before this, before doing this work, if somebody would criticize me, I would be so um, into defending myself that I wouldn't actually listen with an open heart and mind. But because my identity is taken care of, their criticism is not taking away who I am. Their criticism or their needs or their complaints about me are not threatening to me. They're not because it's not threatenable. Is that, that's not a word, right? But you know what I mean? It's unshakable. So then I'm not feeling threatened. I'm secure. So then I can just listen. And I think that's what you shared and what you just said. It's like, yeah. oh, okay. Wow. I, I didn't, I, yeah, you're right. I didn't do well in that. I'm right. so sorry. And, and, but, but that was like, okay, it was something that you couldn't do and that person, but let's say, you know, I was rude. I actually was rude. I shouldn't, I, I, I didn't think right. before I spoke and who are we rude to? Usually our children, our husbands, our siblings, you know, the people that we really care about and we just feel so comfortable with that we just don't think and we could afford to be somewhat rude um, and obnoxious at times. Let's just forget about it, whatever, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, we give ourselves permission to do that. I'm not saying, I'm not saying that it's right, but none of us are perfect. And I, I still think that two things, I would sometimes feel so horrible about myself that I would just do, you know, I would just get into a bad mood, which would then just be on, which wouldn't be helpful to anyone. Um, and another thing is like, I would be so, I, I couldn't see myself as doing something bad. So I kind of would you know, well, that person wouldn't have been so obnoxious first and I wouldn't have been so obnoxious after. <laughs> they made me, you know, they, they, were, they were being so rude. They, my, you know, this teenager was talking to me with such rudeness. Of course I was gonna get upset. It was inevitable. 
I mean, how could a person be? That's, that's what I would think. And I kind of would feel self-righteous and um, indignant, rightfully indignant. And I would not apologize. I didn't really, in order to take real responsibility for our choices, we need to take real ownership of our value. The more we value ourselves, the more ownership we feel for our power of choice. It's literally because our value is our power of choice. Because I have value, that's why I'm capable of choosing. To the extent that I have value, that's the extent that I have the power of choice. So I keep talking about, yes, the, you know, the person being victimized, because I think that at the beginning of this journey for anybody, that's the starting point. But you have been with us for a long time already, my dear. <laughs> and so you're really up to the next stage, which is, okay, so now I, I'm done with that. Now, what about me? That already, obviously the work, I, I still do the work every day. The work is infinite every because day. our souls are infinite. And Hashem in his infinite kindness always gives us new possibilities and new mountains to climb. You know, you get to the top of the mountain, what you thought was the top of the mountain. And then you realize there's a whole nother mountain to climb. You learn more, you grow, you have deeper insight, more awareness. There's more, you know, your capacity for pain grows. Your capacity for self-pity also grows and your capacity for joy grows. I think that that's part of, you know, growing up. So, yeah, but when you're starting this journey, you're not thinking of yourself as the perpetrator. You're thinking of yourself as the victim. Most of us, we think of ourselves as the victim, not as the perpetrator. Sure. So that's why I always start from that, but you're hundred percent right. But all of this, it, it works exactly the same way for the same. Yeah, but thank you so much for bringing that up. I want to recommend, you know, what we're doing now is a very lovely group, but because it's so diverse and it's so big and it's so open and kind of anybody could join and at any time, um, inherently there's not enough emotional safety in this space, which we try to create, but it's not a hundred percent. If you could do a small group, if you can create in your community, on your block, um, in your neighborhood or with a group of friends, if you could do this workshop series, go through the worksheets or go through the book um, as a group, just read a couple of minutes and go through, go through it, share, discuss, hash it out. I would recommend if you're starting a group with people who are, haven't been here for the first time, start with, um, start with principle number two the, the, in the book. I, I don't remember what page it is, but it's about Shema. Because a lot of times people who have no awareness and it's doing, they're doing this kind of work for the first time. The whole idea about belief seems so abstract and so, um, you know, almost esoteric, even though it's so not. But if people who have never done any emotional work or any awareness at all, it's good to start from the second Pasuk, um, which is the second part of the book. And, um, and yeah, it gives you a gift, a safe space, because if you have a, a group of three people, four people, five people, even 10 people, that come together, first of all, you're going to see you develop a sisterhood. I know of quite a few groups um, who have done this and who are doing this with tremendous, tremendous blessing for everybody who is involved, beginning with the person who arranges it all. And it's a work, it's a job to arrange it, but um, the blessings that come out of it and the goodness that comes out, out of it is so, so, is worth it. Take care, everybody. Have a wonderful Shabbos and a good Chaydesh, a Chaydesh Adar. It's a time of joy. 
And last year, this time, we did not know what was coming and it was not a joyous time by the end of the month at all. And my prayer really to Hashem is that before this Purim, you know, let it be that this year, within this year, we should celebrate Purim together with all our loved ones and in a state of utter joy, real joy, real transformation with no masks um, and no uncertainty and no confusion and no chaos and just pure revealed goodness with Mashiach. It should really happen way before Purim. Like I'm really looking forward to seeing Mordechai and Esther <laughs> on Purim along with, you know, all the people that we lost that we love.